0: Ujaba. Ujaba.
1: Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys Podcast. <laughs> An in depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts, Katie and Brian.
2: To another episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. My name is Brian, your host. I'm excited to have a new guest. You may have heard her from Sky Talkers Podcast or Podme Amadala. How are you doing tonight, Charlotte?
0: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here on Moon Jockeys.
2: <laughs> it's a total pleasure. I love your podcast, both of them, and I just really wanted to get your opinion on tonight's topic. So
0: awesome. i well, I'm really happy to be talking about it. and um, it's just good to be here.
2: Cool. Um, you podcast with, uh, your friend, Caitlin, um, Mm -hmm. and you've been friends for like a really long time. What is it like to podcast with a friend of that depth?
0: Well, it's really funny because, yeah, Caitlin and I have known each other like our entire life. Um, and we went to school together, not high school, but every school before that. And, um, we just know each other really well we know each other's beats and I don't know um we I also introduced her to Star Wars so um we've kind of like grown into this fandom together so it was honestly only natural that we start a podcast together so we could talk about it because we were having these conversations like by ourselves and we were like oh my god we should do something about this and be a part of it um That's kind of how it all started. But podcasting with my best friend is fantastic because like I mentioned, we were already having these conversations before and now we just schedule them (laughs) and have like scheduled conversations about amazing things that are happening in Star Wars now. So it's really great.
2: Is there ever a temptation to kind of take each other for granted or um, (laughs) not talk about things because you want to save it for the podcast?
0: Um, That definitely does happen because there are things that like, yeah, that's happened before, <laughs> but it's, um, I, at the same time, like we'll talk about anything and then we'll, if, if we're like, oh, that's good. Like we should say that on air, we'll like write in the notes, <laughs> but that's like a little behind the scenes. I'm <laughs> sure. Um, um
2: I, as a member of Padme Amidala, what is, what character trait do you, do you love of Padme that you aspire to most? most? Uh,
0: Um, the thing is, is that I, I I go back and forth, but I think my favorite thing about Padme is the fact that she knows right from wrong so well and will stand up for anything she really truly believes in. And that's something that I admire about her and try to like put into my everyday life.
2: Just her like compass of what's right and wrong.
0: Yeah, and, like, her ability to defend things and, like, her complete understanding of, um, I I don't know, I guess, yeah, what's right and wrong at the the risk of repeating myself, but, yeah, like, knowing when to stand up for something that she believes to be right, you know?
2: And she does make wise decisions of when to fight and when not to, like, Mm -hmm. to take a stand, basically.
0: Definitely. She she knows when to, like, pull back or to, like, be super fierce about one certain thing.
2: Sure. It's so hard to tell that in day-to-day life. Um, yes. Do you have a favorite Padme scene?
0: Um, I think my favorite Padme scene is, again, I go back and forth because I love a lot of them, but either when she tells Anakin she's pregnant or I really do love that picnic scene in attack of the clones um Mm -hmm. i love anakin and padme as like a couple as a ship and um (laughs) i am like i have guilty pleasure in that sort of those scenes i think they
2: have a that scene is really great because you actually get to see like them in conflict uh, about politics a little bit um Mm -hmm. and see how they handle that like a disagreeing a difference of opinion
0: yeah, definitely, and it's it it's played off a little bit as humor, and I think it's good because when you know time goes on, we watch the movies over and over again. We kind of think about what Anakin is actually saying in that moment, and I don't know, it's just a good scene. Mm-hmm. And again, that's another example of Padme being like, "Yeah, but that's that's not right," <laughs> so, and I love that about her.
2: You've talked about on Sky Talkers podcast that you actually are a little bit of a relo fan mm-hmm.
0: um
2: do you have a favorite relo par- parallel like w- of another story
0: so um yes i i i like them all like when people make the parallels i like parallels in general um i like the pride and prejudice parallel i like the um phantom of the opera parallel and i but i really do think that there's something there as i mentioned before about anakin and padme I think there's a lot of comparisons to be drawn between Anakin and Padme and Rey and Kylo, and that's something that I'm interested in, maybe more so than the out-of-the-Star-Wars-universe um, fictional parallels, you know?
2: Interesting. Do you have any specific examples?
0: Um, I think, just in general, the, like, join-me speech at the very end of The Last Jedi is pretty similar to, like, what Anakin says to Padme on Mustafar, and I just think there's, like some re- like there's a lot of really cool visual parallels like even um Ray being sh- like shipping herself to uh the supremacy in like that coffin-y thing yeah. is pretty similar to like Padme's like final like her when she and her funeral pose it's all very like really similar and i think as ryan johnson has said before about how he like completely steeped himself in the visual imagery of um the prequels when he was filming i i just this kind of stuff just isn't an accident and i i'm so intrigued by it cool
2: yeah it'll be very interesting to see where they take um ben and ray's relationship in episode nine i i think it will have a lot of uh it will have an impact on both sides people that want raylo and people that don't um, yeah like definitely a, a romantic relationship
0: mhm i mean i i don't really need it to be a romantic relationship in nine but i i am fascinated by the parallel like the these two char- characters and what they each represent
2: i think that like especially you know how, like, when Luke went to Vader in Re- Re- Return of the Jedi, like, he was basically loving his father despite what he had done? Mm-hmm. Um, if Rey and Ben, like, somehow can. If they choose to. Like, if Ben chooses a different path because of love, I think that that would be an interesting um, complexity to the story.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interesting, like, pathways that that could take, um, and I'm really, really excited to see where they take it in 9, because I I ultimately, like, as much as we speculate about certain things, like, I do think that they're going to take us in a direction that, like, is going to come from the unexpected, mm. and just because that's kind of, that, that's what happened in The Last Jedi in a lot of ways, like, with both... Um, really with, like, Luke in the Force projection, it's like, how else are they going to push the story forward? And I think as much as we can talk about redemption, which I really do think is going to happen for Kylo, I do know that there is that, like, element of, like, we can't predict what's going to happen because they're going to do something surprising. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, like, they're definitely going to surprise us, but I do... The, the sequel trilogy f- feels like they're taking the Force in a different direction, like they're mm-hmm. trying to expand... Um, the force lore and if they do something where Ben and Ray embrace a larger spectrum of the force where they kind of combine the light and the dark in some way Mm -hmm. um, that could be very interesting as well
0: yeah I think that would be so awesome I would be completely down for that yeah
2: like especially considering how much Luke had done research getting back to what the quote unquote first Jedi had established that the relationship of the force with um, mm-hmm. finding the first temple on o- o- Octo and the ancient Jedi text. Like I-, I just feel like he was on a mission to discover where it- the Jedi's understanding of the force kind of became so flawed that the inherent flaw of the hubris, you know what I mean? Definitely. Cool um i put a we put a couple polls up on the our uh, our twitter feed do you want to go over those with me sure cool um the first question i asked was uh what is your favorite scene of revenge of the sith the options i gave i only had four options of course and i probably didn't list the best ones I never do, but I try to list the best ones I can. <laughs> um I order 66, Padmé's ruminations, Yoda versus Sidious because I'm biased. And the immolation scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin. And the winning vote went to the immolation scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin with 54%. Do you have a favorite of those or um... another?
0: Uh, It's going to come to as no surprise from those. (laughs) I think Padme's ruminations is like a really meaningful scene. Um, It's the I think the point where Anakin decides that he is going to, you know, sacrifice everything for this one person. Um, And that scene to me has a lot of meaning and um, just a lot of emotional weight. And it's really cool that it's basically one of the only scenes in Star Wars that has no dialogue. Um, but I, I see, I, I, the immolation scene is also, I, they're all really good, so f- fantastic choices. <laughs> was
2: it your podcast that said that the immolation scene could be seen as, um. Yes. Okay. The
0: f- Force yeah. I thought it might be, okay. Yeah, it was, um. I I again. That's another. I mentioned that before. Like that's another parallel that you could draw. That scene. They, they're very connected in that moment. Like you can't deny that. No. And it's um, it's intriguing when you look at it through the lens of having seen the Last Jedi.
2: Yeah. Very much so. Mm-hmm. The second poll, um, I listed, was which scene from Padme's subplot. Um, needs to be added back into Revenge of the Sith. We're going to talk a lot about this, I hope, later on tonight. But um, the ones I listed were a stirring in the Senate, uh, the changes to the Constitution, the seeds of the rebellion, or the confronting of the Chancellor. And the winning vote went to the seeds of the rebellion with 70% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite of those?
0: Um, I think seeds of the rebellion um definitely is my favorite I do like the confronting the chancellor scene though I think that it's a good moment of Anakin and Padme in opposition in this like weird way that neither of them really expected to be um and I think it's it's really interesting but uh, Seeds of the Rebellion or yeah Seeds of the Rebellion definitely should have been left in even though I get why they took it out for pacing
2: I, if I if I only got one scene, I think I would have chosen the stirring in the Senate because it did have so many other voices and diversity, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of gets to the the point of them actually realizing that the things that are going on are getting out of control, and they're gonna have to do something about this long term. And it kind of sows the seeds of the rebellion a little bit um, with. Balin, um, Mon saying that they're organizing something and Padme's like, well, let's not talk about that in full because some things are better left unsaid, you know? hmm I like that scene. Um, but, uh, they're all good. And I, I really miss them, uh, in the final product. Yeah. The final cut. I We sure. actually had a couple write-ins, um, for the favorite Uh, scene in Revenge of the Sith. Jim Capron said uh, Padme and Obi-Wan confronting Anakin on Mustafar. You're going down a path I cannot follow. Uh, It's his favorite scene in all of Star Wars. Uh, That's a great one. It's pretty powerful. Um, And then we had two other votes for the Seas of the Rebellion by Jason Hunt from the Wampa's Lair and Jim Schmidt. Uh, So that's great now we can start talking about the favorite themes or the themes of Revenge of the Sith did you have any specifically that you found that you wanted to talk about
0: um I mean there's a lot going on but um, which one um, was I, I about
2: first <laughs>
0: Um, I think the biggest one is definitely fear of loss so maybe we should start there
2: okay that, that's a good one. Um, I think that Anakin is totally afraid of losing Padme. Like, mm-hmm. everything that he does is kind of driven by fear. Yeah. And if you watch the prequels, um, it's a callback to what Yoda says in Phantom Menace, that fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Um, And I think that Anakin's fear is definitely what's going to lead to the suffering of many, many people. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. People say that Anakin is doing it out of good intentions to protect Padme, but I think it's really selfish intentions because he doesn't want to fear loss. Um, And he's afraid of that. So that's why I think he tries to control um, the situation. What do you think about any of that?
0: Well, it gets kind of tough because when you start thinking about things like this, it's like, well, yeah, uh, he, he, I mean, yes, he was really fearful of losing the people around him, um, given the fact that he had left his mother and he had, basically that pain from the past and then his his mom you know died in the previous movie and um it was you know a huge struggle for him at that point because he felt like he was too late and so in this one of course like he fears that repetition and wants to in like coupled with the fact that he is struggling so much um kind of to deal with this like fact that he's the quote chosen one and has like is the most powerful jedi etc it's like um he really does fear all these things like being lost at some point because if padme is his like most treasured thing in the world like of course he when he has this vision that's remarkably similar to the one of um his mother like of course he's going to fear losing her and like but i do agree with you though that like it it changes from like worry and out of love to you know a fear of loss it changes into like selfishness and that's where the problem really lies because we're all fearful of like what we're going to lose and like the people around us like leaving us or anything um but it's it really when it turns into like Uh, almost like a self-preservation situation, that's where it gets really, really tough.
2: It does. And I know that Yoda's advice when Anakin goes to him about the vision that, um, of loss, he's, Yoda is a little cold and says, um, oh, what does he say?
0: Um, he says, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose.
2: Yes. Um, and the I think the point of that is just be passive and willing to accept what is to come. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, embracing what the will of the living force is that the Jedi have gone so astray and really being connected to that. And, mm-hmm. I think that's a larger problem for the Jedi as a whole. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that Anakin's fear of loss is such a callback to the Phantom Menace and um, what we learned about the path of the dark side.
0: Definitely. I mean, also at that point, um, I think that, yes, like the best the best thing about that scene with yoda is that like yoda makes a lot of sense yes we should rejoice for those who transform into the force and um or you know pass and um are no longer part of our lives or whatever and there there's a great message there but the fact is is that like yoda doesn't bring that amount of compassion that the jedi are supposed to have in that moment and that's really the downfall of the jedi but really doesn't have a lot to and like doesn't help Anakin in that moment, you know?
2: I think Yoda did totally miss the point that um, we need time to grieve when mm-hmm. we experience loss. I mean, emotions aren't terrible. Like they're there for a reason. Um, and yeah. there are times where we feel loss and we do grieve. And so I think it's a good idea to grieve with those that are grieving um, and just to have that compassion and empathy, to be supportive uh, and help them get through the, the tough times. Do you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
2: Do you, what other um, failures do you think we see in Revenge of the Sith and in the uh, prequel trilogy as a whole?
0: Um, f- failures? I mean, there's a lot of communication failure <laughs> in general throughout the prequels and... Um, that things that could have been solved if people just kind of talked to each other. And I think that was again, going not to go back to what we were just talking about that one scene with Yoda and Anakin, but that was a good moment to kind of demonstrate that like, even though Anakin was like talking to his superiors about a problem that he was, you know, seemingly facing, he could never be like completely honest with Yoda and be like, yeah, it's it's my wife like <laughs> I love her and I have this problem and whatever and he was so guarded and not to talk to Obi-Wan about anything either and just in it, like every character doesn't talk to each other enough that it's um it causes a lot of issues I think there's like a communications failure across the board. <laughs>
2: it's really hard to li- live like unauthentic lives I think and I yes. think that's what um Anakin was kind of doing at that time. I, I. but at the same time it's also very hard to be vulnerable and authentic mm-hmm. um and to share the deeper parts of our lives where we can be hurt um but i think that that's a better path that being vulnerable and sharing the real stuff of what's going on in life can help you make better decisions and um lead a more fulfilling life do you know what i mean
0: totally agree
2: I think that the Jedi were super arrogant, also, um, mm-hmm. and just how much in the whole prequel trilogy, it. I think they think they know everything, and they're mm-hmm. no, they're no longer the students of the Force that they're supposed to be. Yep, and it just kind of shows its ugly head over and over again. Where they're so kind of cocky that nothing could go um happen in us not know about it but literally the dark lord of the sith is there in the room with you and you have no idea
0: yeah and (laughs) i i mean they their judgment is so clouded by the fact that they're not able to see what's like right in front of them and i think that's Again, something that is, like, a theme throughout Star Wars is, like, be present and kind of, like, understand what's going on around you. Not Don't always, like, look ahead or try to look ahead and not see, like, what's so blatant in front of you, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, th- I think that Obi-Wan has major, major blinders on with Anakin and Padme. S- specifically after the the, um, the ship crashed with Grievous. Um, and Obi-Wan has the moment with Anakin talking about, it's time for your reward, time for you to get your reward, your time <laughs> yeah. with the Senators, um, mm-hmm. your shining moment of glory. I just think that there were so many opportunities for Obi-Wan to really see what was going on with Anakin and Padme and to kind of have a real talk with them and not just talk about fluff or talk about business stuff. Um, and it kind of gets back to what Qui-Gon talked about in The Phantom Menace, how your mindset should be focused on the here and now mm-hmm. and how your focus determines re- your reality. Mm-hmm. So I just think that there were so many times the force was giving clues and insight that of what was going on in the prequels that the Jedi were just totally blinded to.
0: Totally. I think it's, it's just, once you kind of like, (laughs) I know this is kind of dumb because this is like a major thing that you can see in the movie, but once you kind of like pick up on the fact that the Jedi are so blind to their surroundings it makes the prequels a lot more enjoyable to watch just because you understand like they're not these like giants in the world that they think they are and it's i don't know it's it's just makes the whole experience a little bit more rich
2: absolutely it really really does i mean Mm -hmm. i was 23 when i saw the phantom menace the first time in 99 um and so i was super arrogant and didn't really see what i was supposed to see so i thought that yoda was just yoda from empire strikes back and not the flawed um character that he is so Mm -hmm. it took a long time for me to understand that the jedi were flawed and not this heroic champion um like organization but once you figure that out you see the prequels in a totally different light do you know what i mean (laughs)
0: totally and it's it's of course like you weren't afforded the luxury of like being able to pop on like attack of the clones and revenge of the sith right after you see the phantom menace no. so i i and i feel like once we now have that perspective of all of these movies together it makes the experience so much more rich yeah. and you're able to kind of discern these things that otherwise would have confused you which i think is totally valid and fair um because it's, it's it's confusing to last see um, Yoda in Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. And then you see Yoda like so kind of quote young yeah, (laughs) and so different, you know?
2: I mean, he talks about how the older Jedi are more arrogant and how they don't see their flaws. And he's talking about everyone else, but at the same breath that he's saying that he -hmm. should be looking at his own um, life and his own like actions because it, it covers him too and that's why the Yoda arc in the Clone Wars is so wonderful because you get to see the light bulb moment when he actually realizes that he has been corrupted by the war machine of serving mm-hmm. as a general in a war for so long yeah Um. and what a real relationship with the force is supposed to be like and it kind of switches to the Yoda we we knew in Empire Strikes Back.
0: Totally. I love those episodes of the Clone Wars. I've been revisiting them a lot lately.
2: Oh, yeah. They're so freaking rich of uh, yeah. force lore and just self-discovery. Um, yeah.
0: I, I, I would it. argue that they're more rich than, like, the Mortis trilogy. <laughs> I, I, I think there's a lot more to glean from them than Mortis at some points.
2: They're way more applicable to a person yeah. But Mortis might have more um symbolism to the greater story. Yeah. But I I, I love the Mortis or the Yoda arc um in mm-hmm. the last missions. Me too. Can I ask you a question? This is might be interesting. Um it's who do you think the Phantom Menace is in the Phantom Menace?
0: Oh, it's hard because I feel like it's in the same way that The Last Jedi is like a dual meeting. It's um I think it's a dual meaning where the phantom menace is obviously Sidious because they do that like hilarious camera pan where it shows Palpatine and he's the only guy in focus. Yeah. But I, I do think that it's all, it can also be the Jedi themselves and I think that's the point is that it's supposed to be vague, it's supposed to be a little questioning.
2: It's very fair. I've heard many arguments that like the Phantom Menace could be Darth Maul. It could be the Sith as in it, in general. I'm mm-hmm. really, really convinced that the Phantom Menace is Darth Sidious. Um, yeah, because I think that he's just the worst puppet master. What the best and worst puppet master? He's a person you will love to hate. Yep. And you see his plans come to fruition in uh, Revenge of the Sith, that are just breathtaking. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, completely. I sometimes I like (laughs) you when you get really deep into Star Wars lore, you really kind of start to think a little too much about how much Palpatine like had influence over and like the entire war down to like the most minute detail. He knew everything, and it's amazing and really cool, really good villain.
2: Like he he used decades worth of plotting to create a military coup to seize yeah. control in an instant across the galaxy, like yeah. to to have that kind of military planning and foresight is just ridiculous and evil. Um, totally, and he he kind of uses everybody in the whole prequels as a pawn just. For him to get his power,
0: mm-hmm.
2: he creates a fake separatist organization, the the Trade Federation, and the the other um, systems to create a need <laughs> for mm-hmm. the Grand Army, and he also plots a way for the Grand Army to be produced with the Kaminoans. It's just, it's crazy.
0: It is crazy. And it's like, again, it's one of those head scratching moments when you're watching Attack of the Clones. Like, wait, what? The clones are already like, du- who did this? <laughs> but once you know the full picture, it's like astounding. Yeah. Like, you know? Th-
2: the Kaminoans put a um, behavior chip in the clones to modify their aggression and so that they would be more obedient. Mm-hmm. But in the same time, that chip is contains all these quote-unquote orders that they're supposed to follow. Um, yep. And one of them is Order 66, where if the Chancellor orders it, they would kill the Jedi that is currently commanding them. Um, and it kind of gets back to the Fives arc in... The Lost Missions, where they got so freaking close to discovering that chip. Yeah. Um, and th- there's actually a moment where Shock T has the faulty chip from Tup that he's the one that killed the two sisters or one of the sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, kill the Jedi and good soldiers follow orders. Um, and then she also has the, uh, the non-faulty chip of um, fives, so she's got evidence of both chips and what they contain and what um, what went wrong, what went wrong in Tup's chip and wh- what the original chip is supposed to look like. So they could uh, they could have discovered Order sixty six and Shock T has them in her hand. And she gives them back to Palpatine, and it just makes me so mad and so sick. Because Ugh. the Jedi are so freaking close to discovering something to prevent Order 66, and they, they, they don't, because they're blind. They go back mm-hmm. to Chancellor Palpatine. And it's just like, my goodness, it's... the Clone Wars are so freaking good, but um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was a really devastating moment, <laughs> and it's it was brilliant, great Dave Filoni move. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's um, devastating. But another one of those like where everyone involved is kind of like Shakti is at at fault for like going back to the head of you know, the government and giving these things away rather than, like, discussing... You know what I mean? It's It gets a little, like, confusing when you start to think about all the different players that were involved in this.
2: Like, who should she trust? Should she trust the Jedi Council? Or yeah. should she trust uh, the person over the Jedi Council? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, it's... I, I, yeah, that those episodes just really um, make me... Love it that much more. Did you? May I ask a question. Did you mm-hmm. follow spoilers with Revenge of the Sith?
0: Um, the thing is, is that I wasn't really into fandom that much then. Okay. Um, I became a like a huge fan because of Revenge of the Sith. Okay. So spoilers. So no, I didn't follow spoilers. The short answer. <laughs> so you,
2: were you Were you surprised by Order sixty six?
0: Um. Yes yes I was totally I think that it's like such a I think that's something that like I think gets overlooked about the prequels as well is that the like stormtrooper clone troopers were actually the like kind of good guys (laughs) before becoming the bad guys and I think that is like such an amazing switch Mm -hmm. that George Lucas played um at that moment and I think that That was the most – that's one of the most devastating scenes in all of Star Wars, that Order 66, where that John Williams, like, really sad cue plays overhead. Um, And so, yeah, I was very surprised. Did you read spoilers beforehand?
2: I've been a spoiler fiend since Phantom Menace. So, like, (laughs) um, they help me with anxiety because basically I spend a year to two years leading up to the movie – every day getting a new piece of the story. So it kind of helps me wrap my mind around it and where it's going Mm -hmm. so that when I actually see it, I've seen it probably a hundred times in my mind before I actually see it with my eyes. So I can take in a lot more and be at peace and not really worry about where is it going to go because I know where it's going to go. So like that's, Kind of why I get into spoilers and I I love them so much is they help me enjoy it more. Plus, they give me a ton of fun in the year leading up to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew that Order 66 was coming um, in Revenge of the Sith, and it didn't surprise me. But it was just still, as you said, so beautifully done visually and musically. Like, you you don't get a sense of any of... the John Williams score when you do spoilers because that's that's brand new every time you see it. I mean that's you don't really get that before the movie. Um mm-hmm. and so feeling that together is so powerful. And Order sixty six is actually my favorite scene in Revenge of the Sith because it um it just gave the clones so many different looks and so many different places Uh, and it gave you a feel of that that moment of a military coup across the galaxy all at once, and that's just so powerful.
0: Definitely. It definitely felt like we had been leading up to that specific moment for so long, and I think the payoff was there.
2: Yeah, it was great. So what do you think of Padme's missing arc? Why do you think it's not there? Why are the deleted scenes cut
0: well, it's really it's really rough because I wish they were in the movie. Obviously, just like a lot of people, just because I think they show the you know the birth of the rebellion. Um, they show her camaraderie with Bail Organa even more, and they have a lot of amazing diverse voices that are in these scenes that you don't get in Revenge of the Sith otherwise. Um, <clears throat> but. I do understand why they... I'm like kind of controversial in this because I love these scenes so much and I think that I would kind of do anything for a cut where they're edited back into Revenge of the Sith, but I understand why they were cut. Um, They're highly political and kind of slow and I think that in general, the movie really needed to focus on Anakin's turn to the dark side. And that doesn't even happen until like an hour, 30 minutes into the movie. Mm -hmm. So it's like (laughs) with these scenes happening before that is would the movie have been like three hours. I think, yes, you know, and yeah. And I mean, I I wouldn't mind watching a three hour star Wars movie, but I, I understand why they were cut and I'm very happy that the novelization includes them and has like a really, you know, great description of them and everything. But, um, Yeah. It's, it's a huge bummer that they're not there.
2: Padme needed a bigger role in, in Revenge of the Sith, I think. But as, yes. As you've said before, she does have a great role in being pregnant and sharing the moments she does with Anakin um, mm-hmm. are pretty powerful.
0: I mean, I think that there definitely could have been better writing for her, but I, I, it's hard because I personally like all those scenes and everything, but I do think that she... Could have deserved a more well written ending. But I, I and like a, maybe a little bit more, maybe like one scene that was a little bit more concise of, you know, the, that kind of wrapped up the Seeds of the Rebellion like arc in a way that kind of gave us a little wink to the fact that she was at the beginning of the rebellion that kind of linked us to her children later. And I think that that would have been really fantastic, but that's not what we got. And, unfortunately we have these these awesome deleted scenes that we can refer to and kind of hope that they're canon (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: yeah did you like the way that revenge of the sith ended um with the montage and
0: um what do you mean like the luke and leia
2: luke and leia and obi-wan and yoda separating and the binary sunset Mm -hmm. on tatooine
0: i mean yes because in a movie that's like entire back half is like so sad and depressing and um like disappointing uh for our characters it's amazing and that's what makes it so star wars right is that it ends on a super hopeful note of like new life and that amazing um swell of John Williams music that we all know so well it's um a perfect ending for at this point the end of the saga and um I loved that ending it, it was like <laughs> again like I mentioned before how Avengers this has kind of like captured me in into Star Wars it was like we could have all this like insane angst and turmoil but also have this like extremely hopeful you know, end that was so fairy tale-esque that I, I just, I have never looked back really since mm-hmm. that moment. <laughs>
2: it it does carry such a powerful feeling of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen a movie called The Neverending Story from the eighties?
0: I haven't. I'm sorry. That's okay.
2: <laughs> it's totally fine. I'm old. I, I, t- I I'm telling you. Um, okay. So there's a fantastic movie um, from the 80s called The Never Ending Story and it's a super it's it's a fantasy like strange creatures that uh, there's a giant rock biter that's probably three stories tall there's a racing snail um, and there's a guy that flies a bat that kind of falls asleep all the time but the main hero is uh, a boy named Atreyu Uh, And he's on a mission to fight the Nothing, which is this epic um, villain in the story. And the Nothing is destroying the world of Fantasia. In the end, it actually does destroy the world of Fantasia, and all the characters die. And Atreyu gets back to the ivory tower um, just as everything is destroyed. And you see the Empress the one that sent him on the mission to save Fantasia. And it's just the two kids, um, the Empress and Atreyu, and he's like, I failed. I don't know um, how I could have solved it. and um, But that he didn't fail um, because there was a little boy reading the story at the Mm -hmm. same time, and that the little boy can... Give her a new name. Uh, the Empress is holding a single grain of sand. And she says that this is all that's left of Fantasia. The grain of hope to restart Fantasia.
1: Why is it so dark? In the beginning, it is always dark. What is that? One grain of sand. It is all that remains My vast empire. Fantasia has totally disappeared? Yes. Then everything's been in vain. No, it hasn't. Fantasia can arise in you. Your dreams and wishes past you How open your head What are you going to wish for Be no Fantasia anymore. How many wishes do I get? As many as you want. And the more wishes you make, the more magnificent Fantasia will become. Really? Try it. My first wish is yeah! Yeah! Balchor, more thought. like it? Balchor, wonder-
2: so I kinda see the end of Revenge of the Sith, um, kind of connecting to that where there's just a grain of hope left uh, for to overthrow the Emperor. But that a grain of hope is all you need um, that mm-hmm. can grow into the Rebel Alliance and Luke and Leia.
0: Definitely. That's a, such a good comparison. Makes me want to watch the movie. No.
2: <laughs> no. It's a little dated, and the effects won't be great. But the story is—it's okay. It's okay.
0: <laughs> I really like that. I like the. Um, I think that sounds really good, and it sounds like something I'd be into. But um, yeah, all you need is this this grain of sand or this small thing, and just like these like babies. That's all you need, and or like even just beyond the like babies themselves, it's like the hope that like things can change. It's awesome.
2: Yeah. Very cool. Have you, um, this is kind of a on the fly. Have you watched the new forces of destiny? I have. Do you have a favorite of the new episodes?
0: <laughs> um, I loved the Anakin and Padman Ahsoka one. So good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, everything. Like, I swear, to, I swear I've written that fan fiction before. <laughs> but, um, it was so good and really cute, but I also really liked the Porg one with Ray.
2: Yeah, awesome. What about you? I'm a sucker for Yoda, man, I tell you. Oh. <laughs> but um, I, I love the Yoda one. Um, I also – uh, what other one did, did I really like? I, I like the oh, – which one was it? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, it's the Leia in the um, Oh, Bausch.
0: yeah. That was so good. That was great.
2: Like, so being able to explain how she got the Ewok dress and now how she got the Bausch dis- disguise in uh, Return of the Jedi, they've done Leia very well in Forces of Destiny, I think.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. And I am happy that we have that, like, little snippet of a scene um, of understanding how she got that armor. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really cool because I feel like fans have kind of headcanoned that for a really long time of, like, she took the armor from (laughs) someone. And it was great to, like, finally see that (laughs) kind of in action. Uh, Do you uh,
2: you? Do you get frustrated that Padme hasn't had a lot of um, episodes by herself yet?
0: Um. Yes, I'm. I'm frustrated because I think that it would be great for her to have like her solo episode that doesn't always have to include Ahsoka. But I'm really, really thankful for the episodes that depict her and Ahsoka's friendship. I think it's super important to have like a stable, you know, amazing female friendship on screen, and I'm really grateful for these moments that we get. With Padme, of course, I want her to have her own like star episode. But um I am really, really happy with what we have.
2: Is it a problem having episodes of Forces of Destiny from a male point of view?
0: It's just, well, it's not necessarily from a male point of view because Jennifer Miro no, writes I, all of them and everything. I mean, yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> Don't worry. I, I think that it's a little problematic. I hope that it's not a trend that we see. Like, I hope that in the next batch of episodes, like we don't have like two that are only male centric, but I, I don't know. I, I struggle to be like up in arms about it because I, I genuinely think it's great to have women writers writing for male characters. And like that, it was a dream of Jennifer's to write a Yoda and Luke story. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that she got that opportunity, but I, do think that like it shouldn't become a thing (laughs) i think the entire uh um i think that the entire like premise of forces of destiny is to promote female heroes and i hope that it stays that way but i do i i am sorry i'm on a tangent now but like i i do see like the viability of having male characters because obviously that's just how life works like you're gonna have um boys and men kind of like interspersed through like women's lives that's just life but i i think that also they're selling like dolls and i'm happy to have like a ken doll with a barbie doll right um so i i understand the need to have these male characters i just i don't i hope it's not a trend that like it's 50 50 really i don't i don't think we need to get to that point
2: I think that eventually we will get a Ben and Ray episode because of the toy. Um, Yes. So I think that that's going to come, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how many more episodes will be specifically um, told from a male character. I wasn't trying. I know. I
0: know. I know. I know. I know. I got it. I got it. Don't worry. Um,
2: I got my Yoda forces of destiny doll today, by the way.
0: Oh, nice. And
2: I, I love it a lot. It's, (laughs) super, super adorable. Um, Zoe has a whole <laughs> bunch of the dolls um, because she likes them. Her favorite episode was um, the Finn and Rose episode because oh, of really? the giant jellyfish. She's like, ooh, they're
0: pink! Yeah. She's very
2: attracted <laughs> to the pink.
0: I uh, love that. So it's that reminded cool. me of Finding Nemo so much. <laughs> that whole... Thing where it's like going through the jellyfish forest. I loved it. It was great. I loved every episode. I think that this, like, batch of episodes was maybe the strongest we've seen.
2: I love the fact that they all have like, little lessons. I mean, as a dad that has a three-year-old daughter that is loves to watch YouTube videos, having her watch these are encouraging because they kind of teach a lesson of how to be a good person mm-hmm. do you know what I mean
0: totally it's like it's like micro um fables really
2: absolutely like the Hera and Sabine um episode kind of goes back to the living force and not just um seeing what's really there and not just what you think you see um I mean she just didn't look to see if there was two shuttles so they jumped in the wrong one
0: Hmm. yeah it's great. I also really liked that I I think that it's super awesome that we get these like cool nuggets of info from Jin. I think that like her stories have been really cool as well, um kind of showing more about her character and what she's about.
2: Yeah, she had a lot of compassion in this one. Um mm-hmm. for the little back hit.
0: Yeah. Do you Definitely. have a
2: character you're looking forward to most in Solo?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like every character in solo. I'm really excited about solo. Um, I, I'm excited. I'm a huge game of Thrones fan, so I'm excited about Kira, but I am really excited about Lando and can't wait for, I know he's going to steal every scene. It's going to be great. (laughs) What about you?
2: I'm excited for most of the cast except for Han. Um, I'm really excited for Kira and Lando and mm-hmm. the Falcon, like I think the Falcon is going to be almost a character in and of itself.
0: And yeah, definitely. Be... Definitely. Cool.
2: Well, Charlotte, yeah. thank you very much for being on with me tonight. Where can people find thank you for having
0: me? You're welcome. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my screen name there is Crerity. It's C R E R R I T Y. And you can follow my podcast wherever you get your podcasts. um, and on Twitter at Sky Talkers Pod, and my podcast is called Sky Talkers. And um, I'm also a co host on a Padme centric monthly show that's on the unmistakably Star Wars feed called Podme. And you can find us on Twitter there at, at Podme Amidala, so Padme with an O.
2: <laughs> I think that that's such a fun name, uh, especially <laughs> for a Padme podcast.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Uh, all about those uh those puns, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> There's
2: nothing wrong with that. Especially yeah. if it's just catchy, it's easy to remember.
0: <laughs> Definitely.
2: Now it's time to hear from you. You can email us your thoughts on revenge of the Sith at podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can follow the podcast at Moonjockeys Pod. You can follow me at balls and play. Next week we'll be talking a little bit more about the new episodes of Forces of Destiny. Thank you for listening. Until next time, may the Force be with you always.
1: Push the button, Chewie.